Welcome to this episode of the Magazine Debrief. This week we're looking at the 9th of April edition of TES and we have our usual contributors in Dan Worth and Gronje Hallahan and we have a special guest, Jacob. Introduce yourself. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Jacob. Uh, I'm a magazine journalism student and I'm doing a placement at TES for two weeks uh, and thoroughly enjoying it. And, and it's because we're amazing, basically. Well, Dan's amazing. Dan is a great great tutor a great teacher in fact Dan aren't you well it seems that way yeah I mean I didn't tell Jake to say any of that but um, that was that was a wonderful intro and actually and also it sounds like a podcast natural oh he no, does no I mean, fluffs or errors or anything yeah I just I just lumped that one on him and he just he just he just took it took it on the chin um, okay let's get started with a little review of this week's magazine okay we're going to start with feeling nervous about speaking publicly and it's sort of apt because we sort of are speaking publicly on this podcast, yet we've all learned to be less nervous about it, I hope. Yeah, I think I definitely feel less nervous than when we first started doing the podcast. I think I think I always feel slightly worried I'm going to say something stupid and, um, yeah. and inevitably do. Rightly but, so. But no one's picked me up on it. But we're not talking about us, are we? We're talking about teachers teaching teachers. We are, and Helen Mars has written this piece for us for the Growth Mindset column, and she describes the horrible feeling of nerves and anxiety before you have to to present to teachers, and you know this sort of these nerves you can get even if you're just delivering a notice in the staff briefing. This that sort of stomach churning anxiety that you get before you've got to talk to other adults, which seems really odd for teachers to say that they feel like this because, of course, they deliver lessons every day to groups of huge groups of children. And that's fine. But it it does feel different when you're talking to adults. And Helen describes how she's she's overcome, overcome these nerves. I think it's I just remember at school, I think talking to your peers is always worse than talking to an audience because maybe you're feeling that they're going to be a little bit more honest or take the mick out of you but I hated presentations at school it was worth part of my schooling I used to get out of them as best I could um yeah you're definitely right there's something about and that's why this piece is definitely sort of taps into something doesn't it because talking to yeah an anonymous crowd that you'll never see again or you know theoretically you know maybe one person in it by professional coincidence is much less daunting in a way than than talking to 10 people like, like you say at work because because I guess you, they know you and they know that if you make a funny error, they actually won't let you forget it or they'll sort of, you know what I mean? Or they might make some jokes at you as you're talking. And I think that learning to do that, learning to stand up in front of your peers, is like you say, or even people that maybe outrank you and you're talking mm. in front of them as well. And you know that that's your headmaster watching you present and he might be even, or she might be clocking that and thinking, well, they could be good at hosting a school assembly or whatever it might be. And must add a bit of something, a bit more frictional of, got to get this right. It's that scrutiny of people that also do the same job as you and know probably just as much as you. And therefore, mm. if you're standing up and putting yourself forward as an expert in one area, it's that, that those nerves that there might be somebody else in the room who knows more than you do yes. about what you're talking about and you might show yourself up. And it's it's tricky to put yourself out there and to do something like mm. that. To, to deliver CPD takes hours and hours to plan and then you've got to present it and then you've got to read the feedback sheets afterwards and it's... It's the just, feedback sheets. Yeah, so you give the, at the end of CPD, you normally like fill in what was useful, what you what you'll use, Oof. and the person who's delivered it's got to read it. And you know, people are always kind, but there's that horrible feeling of reading it as you're going along. Like, what if somebody says something that it wasn't very useful, or you know, it's repetitive, or it's you know, you can. 
And you you yourself will always be your big, biggest critic. You all know all the places where you were a bit lacking or it, you know, it, it was it wasn't as pacey as it could be. It, it's it's just hard. I remember um, I think the, the the times I've been most nervous at 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 speaking in front of people have been weddings. I've, I did a, a poem at Dan's and I did one at my, my another friend's. But when I've done I've done best man speeches as worse. And I always remember some feedback. I went. Did the speech went all right? Couple of cu- couple of dead rubbers went out there, but you know whatever. Went to the toilets after the guy came in. And said, oh, you did really well. I said, oh, geez, I was I was really nervous. My hand was shaking and my leg was shaking a bit. And he went, oh, I didn't spot it. And then this voice from the toilet went, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, damn it, someone was with honest feedback. It's it just uh... well, yeah, but anonymously from cowering in the toilets. Well, I know. <laughs> And I still don't know who that was, but they, they, that even that feedback was 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 bad enough. I guess part of your course, Jacob, you you having to do presentations. Yeah, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. It's it's there's a lot of kind of having to justify, you know, when you come up with work, having to justify it to people who kind of really know what you're talking about. And and like Corny said, that was that was one of the things with this piece that, you know, you're having to kind of teach stuff to people who've really earned their stripes. You know, there's that line that. Um, that you know these teachers have been teaching for much longer than you have so it's really it's really kind of exposing in a way isn't it yeah and i think helen sort of sums it up that showing a bit of weakness is a good way of getting around it at the start like humanizing yourself it seems ridiculous because you clearly are you clearly are a human but if you look (laughs) at the great sort of speakers they're quite self-deprecating and you know there's there's anecdotes it's like writing a good feature actually you know when we write in features we try and create a feeling of um, a relationship between the writer and, and the audience. And I think it's the same thing when you're doing any form of public speaking. I mean, does it count on telly at, at Dan and Gronje? I mean, I've been on telly once and I was swung on my chair and I've never been <laughs> asked back by Sky. <laughs> with good reason, to be honest, because as my wife always says to me, she's like, do you remember that time when it panned in and you were just swinging on your chair in front of whichever the presenter was? But, you know, when you're talking, you know, Literally in those rooms, there's a camera, isn't there? A presenter, and there's not a lot of other people around. That's what struck me as odd. I, f- I imagine this huge crew, but it's yeah. not. It's it's quite a detached experience. I mean, is that nerve wracking? I I I don't know. I don't. I, I did the first time I did it, but thereafter, I've always found it okay. You get the literally like two minutes before blip of suddenly the reality of you doing it. The moment it starts, I don't. I find the nerves go, and I just just I'm fine. But it is very weird. The environment is weird like you say, that setting of people and, and they walk around and the cameras are moving and they sort of put you somewhere sometimes and, and they just leave you and you think, oh, they've forgotten about me. Do they realise the presenter's over there and I'm over here? And then the presenter walks across the set and introduces you and then sits down with you and you're like, oh no, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> but no, I, I think the more I've done it, like anything, I, I've, I get a little bit of nerves, but only enough to, to make me think this is important and that's why I'm nervous and that's what that is, isn't it? Um, so I can usually channel it into just thinking, well, I'm going to do a bit of research, a bit of prep and then I'll be all right. Oh, I wish I was as cool as that. I'm not. I get really, really nervous, and my face gets sweaty, and I <laughs> and I have a, like a weird twit. Like my my hands and my finger and thumb tap each other, like mm. to try and calm myself down, and my heart races. I had no idea. You, yeah, you always really seem so. You never know. Yeah, you, you never know. Yeah. Cool and calm, and you know you, you come. You present so well, and you're so articulate. And my face goes red. That's the worst thing. I wish my face didn't go quite so red. That's really embarrassing. When it's you can really, never see that really either. I've I've really enjoyed doing the ones at home and not being in the, being in the studio because then the but the lights are so hot and they put all the makeup on you. At least at home, there's not so you don't have all, all of that to add into it as well. 
when I turned up for that Sky interview, it was like five in the morning or something. And um, I was sat next to an amazing woman whose son was 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 murdered after a um, after a, an incident with on online gaming. And um, she was sat there and she was amazing. And they came to me and I was like shaking, nervous. And they were like, oh, we're just going to put some makeup on your face. Have you got any allergies? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do have allergies actually. And uh, yeah, I tend to get really blotchy and like have bad reaction. And the two makeup artists looked at each other, then looked at the amazing lady I was sat with and said, you can just go and sit outside. <laughs> <laughs> I just literally sat there for two hours waiting for this thing because they didn't do any hair or makeup on me. And then I swung on my chair. Maybe, no, maybe this is what teachers need is someone to do hair and makeup for them before they go on. Maybe it is. Because, I mean, I've done it. I've had the makeup. When you go in and they say, oh, do you want a bit of makeup? And it sounds kind of a bit odd, but they say you definitely should because the camera really mm. takes it. So I did. And actually, it sounds ridiculous, but it, it genuinely is quite relaxing, I found. And, like, and they're so nice, the people who do it. They're really chatty yeah. and they sort of take your mind off it. And um, it just feels like, oh, I'm going on TV. You know, I mean, the makeup's too really <laughs> I think a lot of people get behind that. So having a paid person to come into your hair and makeup yeah. for you 100% <laughs> brilliant. People volunteering to CPD will just rock it. <laughs> we can do that, can't we? We can expand the CPD budget to have a hair and makeup yeah. and lighting team come this in. Is, this is what the de de Department for Education are just missing a trick here. Yes. They need to think more about presentation of teachers yeah, before teaching, they do Teaching, school training. hubs, behaviour hubs, early career framework, ITT review. Nah. Nah. Just, <laughs> do some hair and, hair and makeup, lighting. More for the men, probably. Um, but yeah, so have a read of that feature and, and do share your sort of I don't know, there's a really nice thing, isn't there, on the Women Ed thread on Twitter about 10% um, braver and, and and this feeling of imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. actually, you know, everyone has those nerves. Everyone, you know, these people who appear really confident. I mean, you just, you two have just said exactly that. I mean, you both appear completely flawless on, on camera, yet have those doubts. And it's good that Helen's talking about that. Okay, so feature two, we're going into the world of EdTech and... and Dan, you are going to talk us through this world. I am indeed. And this is a feature by Tristan Kirkpatrick. And he's talking about how it's important that schools, I guess at all stages, all settings, don't let the ed tech gains of the last 12 months, maybe 13 months now, disappear as normality hopefully returns. And I think it's a really important point because I think, and I've seen this in various places I've worked, in that technology in so many ways is used so badly by people they, they they use enough as they need to to get in and out of it as quickly as possible that's how my interpretation it's like there's a new piece of software that comes in it helps you do this oh okay i'll literally just do that one thing and then leave it alone because i'm scared of it and i don't understand it and i think in some ways that's generational because you've got people who didn't have that technology when they started their career now they're senior and understandably it's a new thing that comes along and they're a bit wary of it but we've seen over the last year how much you can do with technology in education and elsewhere but so if that were all to be lost it would be a real huge loss of you know productivity gains of new teaching styles new methods of assessment new ways of reducing workload because there are so many things you can do with technology and if if we don't consolidate that and don't keep building on it and don't keep having cpd or refreshes or training or looking for the next tool and say actually i'm not going to just default to what i have always done i'm going to use this try this new thing and put myself forward to try it what else might we miss out on and I think that's something that is not unique to schools, but schools have been at the front line of this this year. And I think, you know, taking that forward is really important. And that's why I like this feature, because it sets up some really practical ways to do that. And I think it raises the point that, like, now is not the time to go, oh, back to normal, never have to use Google Classroom again or Seesaw or, or never have to do some audio feedback. It's the time to say, well, actually, how could I keep using that? And I've seen that international as well. And schools there, I think, are very aware of that need to maintain and grow that. 
I think you're right. I think international schools seem to be a lot more um, open to it, perhaps because they're used to Skyping relatives back home, you know, and there's, there's more of an international element to it. I don't know why it is, but they just seem a bit more open to it. And and also, there seems to be this real cynicism around EdTech in, in, in the UK, this sort of like, oh, it's too much hassle. It takes away from good old teacher at the front. And it's like, well, why are we dealing in these extremes? Surely, mm. like, surely there's a space there where technology can actually be really helpful i mean it's as simple as simple as a trello to-do list you know there's 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 little things that yeah happen and i think a lot of the problem is that people try it and it's like oh no it took me ages to set that up and you know the thing is tech does take ages to set up it's what happens after it that that you sort of get the benefits of it. But you need everybody to adopt it, don't you? So you might get an early adopter who sets up that Trello list and is, is using it really effectively. And then if nobody else buys into it, you're just that that like loner in the corner doing it on your own and nobody was else this, will use was it. Was this you, Gonya? <laughs> Don't know. But really, like, I think... I think there was times when I tried to, to introduce things as like to, to, to the department and there was always resistance. But I think there's times when... I, even really basic stuff. I remember running a CPD on how to use PowerPoint for the teachers who couldn't use PowerPoint like, to the extent they couldn't like do the text boxes or change mm. the background or they didn't know how to insert a video. Not fancy PowerPoint stuff. I wasn't teaching how to like fly the things like all the pointless stuff. Just literally how to use it. And um, people were really keen to learn that, but nobody had ever taken the time to sit with them and show them how to do it. So why would you know how to use PowerPoint unless? somebody shows you mm. do you know what i mean yeah like, no, it's, you're spot on it's like that's the whole point i mean yeah. jacob do you do you see with you and your course mates do you think everyone is tech savvy would you say or have you seen and you'd have to obviously name your colleagues or your course mates <laughs> here but do you think some of you shame are them. more shame them yeah shame are more tech savvy you know even at your you know at a young age so many people who've grown up in a tech world I, I could name and shame i think i'll, I'll refrain from doing so <laughs> uh, to save their blushes but yeah, there's definitely most people are pretty tech savvy. Most people kind of, you know, you know, I'm I'm 23. My generation has, has kind of grown up with stuff and generally knows. But it's interesting. There's always a point where, uh, you know, technology, the next wave of technology comes along and people sort of stop knowing how to use it. You know, there's yeah. always something new that challenges you in the same way that it's for older generations. I mean, I, I think I was kind of at the forefront of this when I was at school, because I remember every in my school, every teacher had one of those smart whiteboards and and they were quite new at the time. And there was a real kind of divide in terms of the younger teachers kind of got on with it really easily. And then some of the older teachers just would spend hours trying to get it to turn on, trying to get Those it to... Those boards are hellish. Are they, are they really? <laughs> They're You've awful. put yourself in the certain camp there, Groin, yeah. Mine would never calibrate. You know you need to calibrate it so the pen would match? Yeah, yeah. It, was t- it was the board's fault, wasn't it, Groin? It was that board. <laughs> so the board wouldn't calibrate. And then whenever you wrote, it was always like six inches to the left. And yeah, that, I remember that. Yeah, it's kind of out of sync, isn't it? Yeah, it's not fun. There's no point. I just wanted to have a whiteboard. Give him my whiteboard. I tried to bribe the um, the the caretaker to take it off the wall, and he wouldn't do it. Then you have people nicking your whiteboard pens, and then it's yes, hard. yeah, you have to hide them and lock them away. And I always forgot to. You have all that animosity, but it's a weird thing, isn't it? Tech, tech, sort of tech cynicism because every teacher uses tech because every teacher uses Sims mm-hmm. or an equivalent. System, or an equivalent. Right? And the problem with those systems where you have to update the register is when you turn it on. So everybody who's going in on the 12th of April will turn their computers on and there'll be, need to be an update. So you can't take your register for the first hour and a half because it's updating. And there's so many things you can do on those register systems like Sims and there's other ones that are available. Um, and the 
because teachers aren't trained on how to use all those different things, you don't know how to use it. But it could make life so much easier when you can centralise stuff, like student, like students going for music lessons and being able to track absent, absent students. That sort of use of tech is really, really useful, but it requires somebody to set it all up and train everyone how to use it properly. Is that like find my phone, but find my music student? Do you like yeah. put a GPS tracker on them and, this, mm-hmm. and, and the MIS system sort of says... Wouldn't that be amazing? They haven't actually gone to play Chip the trombone. The They're smoking behind <laughs> the bike sheds again. <laughs> and you can find them because you've got find my student. There's probably massive privacy issues around that. that probably. That, I think probably, there might be, just yeah. a little bit, but... <laughs> um, I think probably that's not a no go. But I guess with, with with this piece, it's about you know we've had we've had deep submergement in uh, in tech, and they're sort of saying, hang on a minute, like this, a lot of this stuff isn't just for you know, it's not just for the pandemic; it's for life. Um, well, yeah, because I spoke I spoke with Ty Goddard recently um, talking about I've got a feature coming out soon about some ed te- the ed tech demonstrator, and he, and he said exactly that. He said we've just realised that tech. We actually said tech is not just for Christmas. You know, he was riffing off that line and but he's absolutely right it's like that's the point and you're all making the same point is that it's not just oh pandemics that was what it was all for finally it made sense it was now take it forward and see what else it can and do for you. goodness sake it's all set up now all that hard work that initial outlay mm. you've done it yeah until until as 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 jacob said until the next piece of tech comes that's mm. super, <laughs> we've decided to switch from teams to google chat everybody oh, and everyone yeah. just goes no <laughs> i can't I it's can't, true yeah i it's can't true. learn another one um we're, well we're going through a bit of that on tez as we do single sign i was going on. to say you know yeah. we're gra- gradually gravitating away from stuff we've known and humans humans don't like change don't uh, take slack away from me no <laughs> No. Yeah, the, the whoever who just bought Slack was it was it Salesforce? Oh, Salesforce, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be delighted. They'll probably cut that out of this podcast and use it in their uh, <laughs> advertising. Going, okay, uh, have a read of that feature because it's very useful not just for leaders but for but for all um, in schools. Okay, so feature free times tables um, written by this up, up and coming journalist. Um, He's actually just walked off the podcast. He's stormed off. He's stormed uh, off. podcast first. <laughs> just as we've got to her feature. So Gronya this week looked at times tables and, and the best way to teach them. So the, the statutory timetables check is, is in place. Um, it hasn't really been running, but um, the promise is that, that it will return. And so Gronya looked into how best you can teach times tables. And I think we all remember that we learn times tables from sort of by rote. You know, let's leave, let's learn the twos today. Let's learn the threes today. Let's learn the fours today. Gonya has returned from storming off uh, <laughs> from her own feature, and so Gonya says, "Okay, is that a good way to learn? You know, these these this rote learning of number facts is that a good way to to learn times tables, or actually, do we just learn them without really understanding what they are?" and uh, it was amazing the example you gave where the doubling and the halving and how you can work out, a t- I, I, that blew my mind. I don't know I can, why. It's amazing, isn't it? It's such a si- simple thing, but now I can work out my times tables. What's your favourite times table? What's your favourite? Twos, obviously. What? I love seven times seven. I've always been in eights. So I've always liked eights. Mm. Jacob, <sighs> have you got a favourite? Favourite, my favourite one was definitely um, five times six. 
Is that what? right? No, what? Seven, five, five, seven six times is 30. eight. Seven times eight, fifty-six. I always get it wrong. That's it's it. Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Back to school with you. I got it completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's it, isn't it? Yeah, I never realised it went in the I thought wrong, that didn't but... make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but now you've got these like uh, these these programs, Times Table Rock Stars, you know. And I remember for about six weeks, it was the only thing my son cared about about school was where he was in Times Table Rock Stars uh, league table, and uh, was he above a year five? You know, it's, it's this sort of, it's this sort of weird, sort of comp- competitive element of it. But in your piece, Gwen, you, you talk to these researchers who say actually. Yeah, it's good to have the automatic recall, but unless you understand it, you can't do that doubling and halving, and you can't do those other sort of skills to get you out of tricky situations where you don't haven't wrote learned it. Yeah, it, it was a really surprising feature to write because I went in th- assuming that they would say the best thing to do is just to memorise it, and it will make life easier because then you've got it memorised and you can record it quickly. And after I think I interviewed like the third person who said to me, no, really, that's a dreadful way to do it. You need to actually have number sense. You need to understand the numbers. I was like, huh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe me with my English background and absolutely no knowledge of maths whatsoever had this preformed <laughs> opinion about, about how to teach maths and it was wrong. And um, I'm I, I know we all were. And the way that I've been trying to teach my daughter how to learn her times tables just by making her watch YouTube videos and recite it and just say it and parrot it um, was obviously torturous because she's not been able to learn her times tables. And now she can because I used all the tips that Joe Bowler was very patient and gave me. So it was it was doubly useful, this this feature. I think it's what what reminds me of times tables most is when I'm trying to do simple life maths, you know, like yeah. there's, there's, there's times in life where you need to work something out and it suddenly mm-hmm. takes you back to those times tables. Mm-hmm. And, and and other little weird things, I used Pythagoras the other day, which is bizarre. I was trying to work out the length of something when we were doing some DIY and I was like, oh, I can, I can use Pythagoras here. How was it again? A squared equals B squared plus C I squared. Mean, I know. That's and impressive. I was, I was I trying know. to work it out and it was just all, it was, it was, it was like, wow, that was useful all that time I spent <laughs> doing that, doing that stuff. And it's a big thing at the moment, isn't it? But it's, it's about, okay, do we need to learn this for learning's sake or, or, mm-hmm. or does it have some use? You know, what, what's the end point of this maths? And there's an interesting um, feature in this week's magazine coming up. No, this one, yeah, this one we're talking about, in fact. This this very issue we're talking about is the essay, and they're talking about science, and do we need to learn uh, science all the way to GCSE? And he was talking about, well, actually, you know, what do they need to know about science? Well, they need to know basic human biology and and, and some sort of, you know, bit, bit mechanics-y type stuff. And actually, you know, there comes a point where you're knowledge of science or maths has to be more practical if we want to learn it, which is quite a controversial thing to say, don't get me wrong. But I do, there is an interesting argument there to explore, I think. Mm. Yes, why Why you need to know three times three versus how useful that is versus you just need to know it in life because it's, you need to learn it in school, I mean, because it's like that's what you learn in school, right? You learn what eight times eight is, whatever it is. But why? Why is that useful? And a calculator could do it for you nowadays. You know, you don't need, you don't, we, it's not like you're not going to have access to solve a maths problem near you. So why do you need to learn it as, at age four? But of course, you sort of do, right? It does make sense to learn that information because it's sort of the building blocks of 
of everything you might go on to do in life. So we need I was to going to say Gronya's face was she was a student. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm I'm not I wasn't. No, 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 it's just exciting. Well no, but I did like I I was so bad at school learning my tables. I never learnt my tables. And I was I always felt really nervous about maths and I never had good number sense. And well, you I see, I, it, I was very good at my times tables and I think it hid actually the fact that I wasn't very good at maths because when I went to <laughs> secondary school, I was in the lower sets of maths and I, I did, I passed, you know, I got a B in uh, and so forth, but I, um, I wasn't very good at it. And, and, um, but I was good at primary school. And I think people thought I was good because I could just mm. go eight times eight, 64, but it was just memory mm. recall. Like the, like the piece talks about it wasn't, I didn't, mm. I don't think I fundamentally understood what I was doing. I just knew that was the answer. Yeah. It's like when I'm teaching my daughters to read and and i'm, I'm saying right the dog and they're like yes and then i point to another word like cat and i say what's that word dog like they have no you know you're congratulating yourself because you point to dog and they've gone dog yeah that's dog yes they understand dog and point to another cat dog no it's not it's not it's not cat and it's, it's that sort of thing it's like you can be sort of lulled into this false sense mm. of security of mm. knowledge when actually just learning patterns and some kids as the piece said are really good at learning like just learning rote and some good kids are really good at spotting patterns and some kids are a bit in between and it's again it's that flexibility of um you know schooling that we need and i thought it was so good to learn that the times tables check test that, they, that they're going to do obviously not this year but next year they, they should be back um that you do have enough time in that test even if you can't recall it instantly there's enough time for you to work it out. So those seconds, they said that it, it doesn't matter what method you teach the children, whether they've learned it by rote or mm. whether they actually do need the time to just check that the, the answer's right and then work it out. You've got enough time to do it. And I, that's that's good, isn't it? Mm. We, we, in light of Martin and Charlotte Noon's feature last week, we should probably say enough time for some oh, children. We had a huge um, family debate about that this weekend. The about... Good, Speed of about recall, whether we should be test, testing speed of recall. Yeah, yep. my, my husband and my, my mother both had a, a heated debate about how long exams should be. <laughs> what, 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 was the, what were the outliers here? Are we talking so, two days and 30 minutes? Or? So Pat was saying that they should all be three hours long and people can leave when they want to leave and that you shouldn't give any extra time for... This would, this would get rid of the issue about have, giving some children extra time because everyone can take extra time if they want to take the extra time. And then we were saying that maybe that, that wouldn't be taken on so well by SEN groups because they might feel that if every if all like neurotypical children get that time, then where's the advantage given to the, those that are already disadvantaged because of their, their their learning difficulty? And then three hours for a test is quite extraordinarily long. Mm. <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be very nice to sit there for what three hours. What was your mum's argument that they should have an hour and it should be do or die? No, 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 but they should have more time than the time they're given because a mark a minute doesn't, you know, what what are you actually testing then? It's just knowledge recall. You don't have enough time to check over your answers. It's not teaching at, or you're not encouraging good habits in your in your students because they've just got to get it all down and a mark a minute's too quick to actually then go back and check your answers and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Jacob, you've got, you've got exams coming up, I presume, and obviously university exams but how long have you got for them does it feel like long enough yeah actually for us it's um there is much more kind of coursework based so there's not so many exams but yeah i remember you know at, at school I, I remember doing three hour exams and that for me that just felt like a, a whole lifetime um yeah i think especially with 
people obviously writing by hand less and less, it, that's a long time to be writing. Um, so I, I remember I always much preferred the kind of, you know, one hour, an hour and a half, just get it down and get out there. As, as wrong as that may be, that, that's what I prefer. <laughs> and of course, we're going to be going to digital exams, aren't we? We're going to be doing them on computers. So that would be interesting. Never gonna happen. That's that's a that's a tale for another time. <laughs> Before we go, we need to talk about Bear Grylls climbing climbing buildings at Eton, Dan. Yes, he was the um, Bear Grylls. Very kindly did the ten best uh, ten questions on uh, on Ted's. He sadly didn't take part in the podcast, but he did answer some questions over email, which was very nice. And one of the things he he said he did was that he climbed the was it the bell tower yeah yeah the bell tower yeah. at Eton which is something that um, oh Branagh Fines had previously done is that right mm. yeah yep. memories and he's carved down. his initials in yes that's next right. to his how cool is that which is very it, cool isn't it yeah it's just cool. how dangerous that's what yeah. can we all do that <laughs> hey, what what are the rules on this could we just like break into Eton ourselves and give it a go I think we do it I don't think we can advocate that bringing a ladder. Be fine. A bit There's a feature girl. in that, surely. Yeah. yeah. Can Grawn your break into Eton and climb the ladder? <laughs> well, I'd accept it. That, that's, a, that's an official work task now you phrase it like that. Dan, we'll, uh, so we'll, I'll get we'll, onto it. We'll get in contact with Eton and maybe verify this. Has anyone actually <laughs> climbed up and checked the, the two pairs of initials? <gasps> oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Good point, John. I need to do it for the journalistic. Yeah, drop them a line and see. But I just thought it was interesting how, what a downer he had on his own education experience. I mean. Yeah. You're reading between the lines, you know, it wasn't. It didn't sound like a happy experience. Like he to go to every lesson and struggle. That yeah. really, that that made me feel really sad. Mm. But I think he 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 obviously had. I think he did have a good time at school for the reading. Actually, reading the lines. I think it just wasn't in the traditional. I really liked yeah, English. I really liked geography. It was yeah. the outdoorsiness, the people he met, yeah. that kind of thing. But it, I, friendships. That, wasn't it lovely what he said about friendships? Yeah, it mm. was as well. And I think you're right, Dan. It was. Sorry, I should should clarify. He liked being at Eton. He just didn't like the academic. Mm. lessons and I think you know in my lead last week I wrote about this it's like where is the provision for kids where the mainstream doesn't fit and you know this mm. notion of mainstream and, and I think he he's a classic example of someone who you know that wasn't the right environment for him that academic environment for whatever reason and it's very he dangerous. He needed a forest school didn't he? He did he did maybe you know he's, he's he works for the scouts now doesn't he so maybe there's yeah. there's maybe he's having a hand in that but I think there's there's something in that need for a diversity of provision, some sort of choice, you know, about mm. what options are open to you, which is very difficult because it's very expensive to deliver mm. that. And I guess free schools were meant to deliver some of that, but, you know, yeah. they're there. They tend to be, yeah. You know, There's a tale for another day. Yeah, they tend to be quite, <laughs> you know, I, I can't think of any around here where I live. So where's my provision of that, you know? Yeah. So again, though, I think we'll probably get into, into some interesting areas if we go into the free school movement. Um, but I think, you know, reading this from Bear was intriguing. If we if we loop back to the start of the podcast, of course, because he appears to be an incredibly confident, articulate yes. chap. And yet that 10 questions was quite an eye-opener in how anxious he obviously was in those circumstances. It was so mm-hmm. nice as well, reading about, you know, ranging around the Isle of Wight with his dad. And he, yeah. I got a completely different sense of him, actually. Well, I think that the, the My Best Teacher podcast and these, these sort of features show, don't they, that I mean, everyone knows this, but it's always a nice reminder that it's not just about the grades you get and it's not just about did you love English and history and, or whatever it was, mm. or biology. It's, it's what, because that's when you grow up, isn't it, at school? You grow up at school and you meet people and adult, other adults than your parents and all that kind of stuff. And that's massively important. And 
I just think sometimes there must be teachers who know who know the frustration of people who aren't academically great but are great children. You know, clearly funny, interesting, creative, quirky. You know, real kind of some real challenging questions and lessons, and and hope they then go on to do something really interesting. Just because they didn't get four A's or eight A's, you know, they go on and do something really different or quirky or find a place in life. And I'm sure most do really, but it's just a reminder, isn't it? Like education is not a set of grades. No. It's it's everything. I taught this lovely boy who really struggled. He was in the bottom set for English. And I also taught him media. And he was so, so, so nice and really kind and really helpful to his classmates. But I mean, he could barely read, really, really struggled, really, really struggled. And um, he just didn't didn't really enjoy school, wasn't very good at PE, didn't, wasn't very good at art. Like he never had, he always said that he never felt like there was anything that he was particularly good at, but he mm. loved horses and he used to volunteer at a horse sanctuary. And now he's a jockey mm. and he's really successful. And he's, I love seeing like him pop up and doing different things. And he works, works with horses and that's what he, he's found something that he can be brilliant at. And he could never find that at school. He was a great friend. You could see he had lots of nice friends, but to actually succeed at something, it's it's nice to think that the people that don't quite fit into the easy categories that we've got in education can find something mm. to to find their their way for the rest of their life. To put Jacob on the spot, since we're coming to the end of the podcast, Jacob, you know, do you want in in this vein, do you want to tell us if you can think of it really quickly, your favourite teacher, your best teacher? Oh, my best teacher would be. Uh, my year five teacher, I struggled to remember her name. I had two. I had one who was really horrible and one who was really brilliant. And she... don't, don't don't say their names. Let them both think they're the brilliant one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can decide between themselves. Yeah. Um, but she was very, always really encouraging and kind of at a point where I, where, you know, maybe I could have, you know, not tried as hard. She pushed me to really try harder than I was. So yeah, grateful for, for that teacher. I wonder what the split is. I mean, Dan, you probably, I mean, what's the split between primary and secondary? Your initial thought in your head, best teacher. They, they, I think most people default to secondary, but they all seem to have, also seem to recall a primary teacher who additionally was memorable, but also they seem to have trouble remembering their names, which I find interesting because I, I don't, but then I went to a very school Cornish primary school. There only were about five teachers. So you had one per year, or every two years you had one for two years. So it's very easy to remember who they were for me, but yeah, most people seem to default to secondary, I think, in the more fundamental, like they helped bring something out of me, whereas the primary memories are more, they were very nice or they really looked after me. It was just a nice classroom to be in, which makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's not to disservice to primary. It's just there's more, that's going to naturally, when you look back to being seven or something, you're probably going to remember that more than that, that really inspiring English poetry lesson or physics lesson yeah. or something. Also, um, this might be a bit of a stereotype, but people generally in primary are better versions of themselves. And therefore, when the teachers are nice to them, it's like, well, they should be nice to me. I'm a nice person. And you're when you're in secondary young, school, yeah. you're a bit more difficult and you're a teenager and, and life's a bit trickier. Again, Gwen, you're speaking for yourself here. Some of us <laughs> were, were the kind boy you were just talking about. We weren't all like, rebels like yourself. Um, <laughs> Anyone when they're a teenager is, is going through changes. I don't think that anybody thinks of their teenage self as being more easygoing and compliant than their primary school self. No, that's very true, actually. And I think, yeah, and, and you're you're forming your vision of the world during secondary. So I guess yeah. they, these people and looking outside your own home for influence. So I guess at that point, you do find these sort of people in other walks of life that become very in instrumental in what you do. And I guess that's where 
that's where where we get these secondary skew, I guess. Mm. So mm. before we go, Dan, tell us how to find this podcast again. My best teacher, search it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You'll find it. And um, next guest coming up talking about horses is Claire Bolding. Oh, Claire <gasps> she's Bolding. got a few tales to tell because, you know, she's a national treasure and broadcaster and, you know, presenter without compare. And, and yet she had quite a tough time at school, particularly starting secondary school, also went to a boarding school. And I won't give it away, but she had quite a surprising thing happen to her at secondary school that, that really set her back. And she grew through that thanks in part to sport and from an inspiring teacher and she talks all about that and how it sort of helped to get back on the straight and narrow so yeah really good one coming up actually with Claire Bolding that's on the 16th well, well make sure you tune into that and uh, we'll, we'll see you again next week if you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez magazine online and have it delivered to your door Subscribe now at tes.com forward slash store.